A Sports Fix Tuesday coming up. We'll catch up on all the things that we missed over the weekend and yesterday, which was a busy day for the Washington football team. Tommy standing by. Real quickly, today's show brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation's offering 50% off all window styles. No payments for two years with no interest. If you've been thinking about new windows, and you should be if you need new windows, to get them installed for the fall and winter, you'll save big on energy bills. Give Window Nation a shot. I promise you it will work out. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. There is zero risk. They'll do a virtual online estimate for you, or they'll come out to your home and give you a physical in-home estimate following all CDC guidelines, and you can do with that estimate what you choose. But you might as well take an opportunity for a free estimate, and then if you want windows through Window Nation, taking advantage of 50% off all window styles with deferred payments for two full years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that Kevin Sheehan sent you. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. It's a Sports Fix Tuesday uh, here on August 18th. We'll do two shows this week, maybe a third. We'll see how it goes. Tommy's in Wildwood Crest, New Jersey, enjoying himself at the beach, but he's calling in. So much, Tommy, has happened um, since the end of last week. The Caps are on the verge of being eliminated. Alex Smith cleared from the pup list. The football team's got a new president. And the NBA playoffs are underway, underway with controversy on night one. I'm going to try to get to that at some point, but it seems like a lot of the other stuff for most of our listeners are of more uh, importance. But um, I would start with, you know, how is the beach going? Did the change of scenery make you happier than you were on Thursday? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, this, this is literally the first social interaction of note that we've had since March. I mean, we, you know, last week we visited with a couple up in uh, Carlisle outdoors for a while, but, uh, you know, we're on the beach with about, uh, uh, you know, socially distanced about 15 people. Are, are, are people socially distancing on the beach? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they're not going to get near people. your group of chairs, that's for sure. You probably no. got a big sign up that says "Stay away." <laughs> so, I mean, we've all been very careful. We've got a family group here that uh, is pretty cautious about it, and uh, so everything's been going great. I mean, yesterday was beautiful, eighty degrees and sunny, uh, with a nice small breeze blowing in from the ocean. Uh, so, it, it's we had some Max pizza. Last night, it was a great boardwalk pizza. We didn't go to the board. I went to the boardwalk to pick it up, but we didn't hang out at the boardwalk or anything like that. So, you know, so far, it's been great. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, yeah. you're going to be there for the week, and is your granddaughter having a great time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's having a fat, much, much happier than sitting home with Grandma <laughs> and Grandpa and watching Flash and Supergirl yeah, episodes. Of course. You know, she's got more people to pay attention to her now. Yeah, she's got a lot of people to pay attention to her. You know, the the biggest issue with with young people at the beach, you know, Scott was telling me about this. So Scott was down at the beach and you know, Scott's got three kids under the age of nine, I think. Is it nine or eight? I think it's I think his oldest is is eight years old. 
and he said, you know, he, he remembers me with my older kids when they were younger complaining that the beach was not relaxing at all when you're on the beach with young kids because you're constantly, you know, you can't close your eyes or immerse yourself in a book, you know, and take it easy. You're always watching where are they? Are they in the water? I mean, have they gone out too far? And like he said, he just stands there near the edge of the water as his kids, you know, are in and out of the water. And it's, you know, there's a lot of anxiety associated with that. And for a lot of people with younger kids, and you've got a young granddaughter, it can be really stressful to be on the beach every day. But but I guess that's not really your responsibility when you're at the beach. Well, you know, she's 11. Yeah. So Well, 11 uh, still. This, but this is the first time we've kind of let her go into the ocean on her own. Yeah, and how does she do that? Is she a good swimmer? She's an okay swimmer. All right. How are you? Uh, how, I mean, how are I, you I would, as a swimmer? I'm a pretty good swimmer. Really? Yeah, but she's an okay swimmer, and I would classify her for a young person as being relatively cautious. Uh, so, like the first time when she went in yesterday on her own, I walked down to the to the ocean, and I'm trying to keep an eye on her, making sure I can spot her. And I'm just standing there for 20, 25 minutes, and I'm saying, I can't do this. I can't stand here. <laughs> you know, she'll stay in there forever. Oh, yeah. I so mean, hours. I came, yeah, so I came back, and my wife said, oh, don't worry about it. She'll be okay. So I said, not my kid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, but it's but it's on your watch. I know. You know? I know, but uh, she was fine. You know, she, played, you know, she was playing with a bunch of other kids out there, and... Uh, so far, so good. We haven't lost her. All right. Well, that's good. Um, I think a healthy respect for the water is a is a is a good thing for sure. Yes. All right. Let's get to. I mean, there's... and we have a pool where we're staying too. You so after we, when we come back from the beach, we hit the pool. Right. All right. So. Um, very good. Um, so yesterday morning, uh, I, I I'm up early, even though I have the week off um, from radio this week. Um, and I get, you know, a text that says, look at this. The team's about to announce that they've hired a new team president, and his name is Jason Wright. And I thought, wow, that's that's a big announcement. And then the, the Schefter thing came out. I think Schefter was the first to have it. Um, and Schefter, uh, and then, it, you know, it was it was actually very interesting, Tommy, about basically the um, – the way it came out, it didn't come out from the team. Schefter reported it, and then I think Julie tweeted it out, and then the team retweeted Schefter. <laughs> it was it was really strange. Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pick on their PR department. We've done that enough over the years. Um, but it was it was interesting how that their Twitter account retweeted Schefter's reporting of it before. They, they did anything else before they tweeted out the team's official announcement or before they even retweeted Julie's tweet about it. Um, it was almost as if, well, Schefter's got it. He must be right. We're not even sure here in social media about this story. But anyway, um, it, I mean, I think it floored everybody. I don't think there's any doubt that this was an incredibly surprising announcement I you know I think there's been plenty of discussion about whether or not the team uh, would hire uh, a team president especially when we found out how 
how much uh, old Ron was doing there, you know, for a while. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that Ron seemed to be in charge of everything from the name to accounting to ticket sales to new name to, you know, trying to figure out whether or not, uh, you know, he can get a practice uh, into August, uh, which they're practicing today in full in pads for the first time. But uh, but still, I, I was very surprised uh, at this news, in part, Tommy, because, you know, it was just on July 20th that the Washington football team uh, hired Terry Bateman, who I know, you know, we've known Terry for a while. Terry was the CEO of the radio station. He's worked with Dan on and off for 25 to 30 years, probably even longer. And they hired Terry and gave him the title of executive vice president and chief marketing officer. And to be honest with you, my sense of it was is that they gave him that position. He had been in the building. He had been, you know, a project guy, a consultant. But in since La Femina had uh, left or was forced out, fired, um, Terry had taken on a lot of those responsibilities. And I just assumed they elevated him to this title to say, all right, it's Ron on the football side. It's Terry on the business side. So I wasn't necessarily, after Terry got hired, expecting the hiring of a team president, but it came yesterday, and it came with you know quite um, quite a, 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 a lot of fanfare and a lot of I think real inspiration in that Jason Wright is black, and this is the most significant high office hiring of a minority in NFL history. There's never been a team president or an owner. You know, team president would be number two to the owner. Um, there's never been an African-American hired to this position in the history of the league. And it got, you know, uh, not only national attention, but international attention. What did you make of it? We, I've got a lot more on this, but I want to get your thoughts now. I was very surprised. Uh, I was very impressed with them pulling this kind of rabbit out of their hat uh, to make such a dramatic and significant hire. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Is he president of business operations? Or is he president? He's team president. So he's in charge of football, too, then? No, he's not. They made that very clear in the press release. Okay, then he's not the team president. Well, yeah, there are team he's presidents team president. that, that, that do not have any involvement in the football operation. Bruce did. Okay. But there are plenty of team that. presidents league-wide that are strictly the business hire. Well, then, I'd, I'd be curious what their exact titles are. Because typically, if you're the team president, uh, you know, you are in charge of everything. Yeah, but that's the not the case here. Business oper- I know he's not. I know that. He's, he's in charge of the business operations. Right. He has the job that Ryan LaFamina had. That's right. That's, that's, that's exactly right. He right. had because now, because Brian LaFamina was hired as he 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 had he had the uh, president's title uh, yes, as well. He did. Yes. So yeah, and COO, Chief Operating Officer right. was as well. Uh, now uh, but they hired a guy whose credentials like just seemed storybook. You know, this is a guy who played 7 years in the NFL and uh, has worked for one of the most prestigious companies in America, in McKinsey, I'm kind of distrustful of the McKinsey guys generally. <laughs> me me too. 
Me okay. too, because I dealt with a lot of them when I was in business. I dealt with a lot of the, you know, upper echelon consultants. I've told you th- those stories before. By the way, right. n- not 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 being critical of the people and how smart they are and how resume they are from um, from an academic standpoint. Um, but you know, there was always, uh, in my experience with uh, a lot of those companies, and we never worked with the McKinsey people. Actually, that's not true. We did at one point uh, a long time ago have a couple of, of McKinsey guys looking at the business. But anyway, um, to make a long story short, I always felt that they were, you know, um, very high on the, on theoretical and very limited in practical. Um, and that's yeah. just the nature, especially of startup businesses, which I was always involved in, that practi- practical experience went a lot further typically than whiteboard experience um, but, or whiteboard, right. you know, thought. Uh, but anyway, um, but it's still and it's an impressive background. Yes, it's a very oh my impressive God, yeah. background that that this guy has. You know, let's. I remind everybody that Jeff Lunau, the Houston Astros uh, general manager, was, was a McKinsey guy. Yeah, and uh, there's this there's this belief that you know McKinsey's are like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds that they're trying to take over the world, right? Uh, because they keep spreading these guys out into different kinds of businesses and it's like a fraternity they take a secret pledge all that aside it's a very you have to say uh it's a very impressive hire it's a huge win uh for the moment for the washington football team and dan snyder all right i did find the brian lafamina exact title he was the team's president of business operations and chief operating officer this was the press release about jason wright Um, The Washington football team announced today that they have appointed Jason Wright team president. In this role, Wright will be responsible for leading the organization's business divisions, including operations, finance, sales, and marketing. He will join coach Ron Rivera, who maintains all on-field responsibilities and football decisions in reporting directly to team owner Dan Snyder. You know, it's funny, Aaron texted me yesterday when he saw the team release, and he said, is this the first admission that Ron is also the GM? And I, I said, well, they don't list, they, they didn't mention specifically that, that he's the GM. And Aaron's point was, as part of the first paragraph of the Jason Wright um, press release, the team points out that Ron Rivera maintains all on-field responsibilities and football decisions and reporting directly to team owner Dan Snyder. I'm not sure I thought that Ron's position was any different. I didn't think that Kyle Smith had a position that was level with him or above him. I thought Kyle Smith reported to him, which this makes clear, but I think I always felt that way anyway. I don't think anybody yeah, felt but that. What? But, but, but now it, it's on paper from the team. That's right. Right, the and I think I think I think Aaron made a good point. I don't recall seeing anything as specific as all football operations related to, uh, directly to Ron Rivera by the team at this point. Right. So uh, I mean, I I think it, it might be a little bit of a revelation uh, officially, uh, but you're right. It's what we all what we all thought anyway. Yes. Yeah, so. Um... Uh, the, the org chart is as follows, Dan Snyder, and then there are two branches off Dan Snyder. There's team president, Jason Wright, 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, another branch, I think it would be level with Jason Wright. Maybe it's a little bit below Jason Wright. Maybe Jason Wright's one line down, and then right below that is Ron Rivera. But Ron Rivera is basically running the football operation, and Jason Wright is essentially running the business operation. What is Terry Bateman doing? Terry Bateman, I think, is going to continue. You know, Terry's an older guy. Um, you know, Terry's always been in and out as a consultant, as a project guy, you know, as I've, as I've mentioned here before, you know, of the people that I've dealt with over the years in the organization, Terry is the closest thing to smart and normal, uh, as has been around uh, that organization. Um, but, uh, I would imagine that, you know, his role will be, you know, to be project based, to be involved in maybe a couple of specific areas. Maybe it'll be the name area. Maybe it'll be the stadium area. Um, but Jason Wright was hired to oversee all of that. You know, Terry is going to report to Jason Wright. Clearly, his his title is executive vice president and chief marketing officer. Jason Wright is the team president. Now, let me get to this. Okay, so... Obviously, this guy has an incredibly um, uh, impressive resume from the time that he was playing professional football. He's a Northwest Northwestern undergrad, played at Northwestern, um, you know, played seven years in the NFL, went to the University of Chicago Business School. Okay, so that's that's a pretty top rate business school. I know yeah. certainly for in in terms of international business, in particular, the University of Chicago uh, is as good as it gets. Um, and then he's worked at McKinsey here for several years, lived in D.C. working for McKinsey since 2013. He was born on the West Coast, obviously spent a lot of time in the Midwest, and has been here since 2013. Had an opportunity to work in the league office at, at a high level um, a couple of times. Uh, Troy Vincent in particular, um, very, uh, very complimentary. Roger Goodell, according to reports, had a lot to do with pushing Dan towards this hire. As we believe, he pushed Brian LaFamina towards uh, this uh, organization there for a while. Everybody believes that Jason Wright is a star. Um, like Rivera, he spoke uh, yesterday about the changing of the culture being one of the reasons he views the job as a great opportunity. He seems to be coming in eyes wide open about what's happened here in the past. Um, bottom line, Tommy, from my standpoint, you know, I am happy, uh, obviously, for him. I think the owner's hiring of diversity over the last eight months can be viewed cynically if you choose. But my sense is that a diverse workplace isn't something that he and his wife have ever been uh, opposed to. Um, I don't believe that at all. I mean, we have seen... Um, that this has been an organization that has, you know, regardless of whether or not you think Doug Williams had any real clout, Doug's always had a very senior title. This is a, a franchise, let's not forget, over the last 20 years, Tommy, that I think has had as many black starting quarterbacks as any team in the league. I didn't go look that up, but, you know, between Jason Campbell, RG3, Dwayne Haskins, throwing Tony Banks and Josh Johnson, I may be missing a couple of others, um, but they certainly uh, have been been uh, diverse at that particular position. Um, you know, Dan and Tanya, and by the way, I, I found it interesting and I don't have an answer to this. I don't know that Dan ever met with Jason Wright face to face before hiring him. I believe he is still in the South of France on his yacht. And I've, I've never with a hire, this is just an observation, 
You can correct me if you think I'm wrong. I don't know that in any recent big-time hiring have I ever heard Tanya referred to more than Jason Wright referred to Dan and Tanya multiple times in multiple interviews yesterday. And I'm wondering if Tanya was significant um, in the hiring of Jason Wright. Um, And maybe she has more input into the organization than she's had previously. That's just a guess and an observation. Uh, did you make a similar obvers- observation or not? No, but I'm not as insightful as, as, as you are. Uh, so true. Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it is. Look, I think you've got to read tea leaves into everything at this point. And if Tanya is more prominent in the language of personnel of a major personnel decision like this, then you have to assume she's got has more of a voice uh, than than she had in the past, or at least they're more willing to put that forward. Anybody but Dan Snyder, I think, at this point, uh, people are happy with. Uh, so, uh, so what's the dynamic when when there's a power struggle? I mean, because well, do we I have mean, to jump Brian to that Robert, already? I mean, well, yes, I do. Is there, is there a honeymoon look, period? Look, look, what? look I'm always, I, I, this guy, this guy may be the smartest guy in every room he walks in, but my money is always on the aura of self-destruction, okay, and will remain so until it's proven that that aura no longer exists. So if there is a power struggle, how does it line up? I mean, because La Famina, he came in with a bunch of underlings with him who were his guys, but it was always two-on-one against La Famina. It was Bruce and it was Snyder who hired La Famina against, against La Famina. So he was fighting a losing battle. Now, you know, maybe this guy, maybe, the, you know, maybe it's Ron and this guy. Maybe they align themselves together and it's enough to hold off Dan Snyder. I mean, because I don't care what they say if he's not involved in football operations. He's going to be involved in football decisions because the football decisions affect the business. Ryan LaFamina, one of the reasons he, he, he got out when he did was because the Reuben Foster hiring, the Reuben Foster signing for, for them on the marketing side was the straw that broke the camel's back. So, so you're going to have football and business, and there's going to be times when they interact. And this guy's football background will certainly help him doing that. So I'm going to assume that since this guy seems to be very smart and very personable, uh, that uh, if there is a power struggle, he's going to align himself with Ron. Um. Okay. And not can, can I can I circle back to that in a moment, please? Because be, well, because I want to get a couple of things out to maybe um, to maybe make you think a little bit differently about your position about this power struggle that you're not describing as imminent, but you're describing as certain. Uh, yes. Okay. So I, I want to read from Les Carpenter's story in the Post here, uh, just two paragraphs. Quote. Uh, He's quoting someone, uh, a person familiar with the team's decision-making in recent years, speaking on the condition of anonymity to provide a frank assessment. Quote, 
I don't know who's making these moves, but it isn't the old Dan crowd. Uh, the person was referring not only to rights hire, but the addition last month of Julie Donaldson, the first woman to have a full-time role for an NFL team's game day radio broadcast, who was also named the team's senior vice president for media. Fresh quote, continuing, fresh blood with fresh thinking, kind of refreshing, actually. Maybe this is a signal that they are really going to operate differently. Then this next paragraph. Wright said he was not looking to leave McKinsey, but became intrigued when he was connected with Snyder and Snyder's wife, Tanya, within the last few weeks. That led to a meeting and conversations with not only the Snyders, but also Rivera, whom several of Wright's former teammates and his football agent know well. Through these conversations, Wright, Rivera, and the Snyders came up with a power structure that will have Wright and Rivera reporting to ownership, but will also be what Wright called a three-headed leadership construct where we together are shaping a new culture. He added that he believes the Snyders are committed to changing what many have described as a toxic atmosphere around the franchise. Now, when I mentioned... Kevin! What? Who created the toxic atmosphere? Well, I understand that. That that's that's obvious. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to dispute you on this. But, but bear with me here for a moment. I believe that Tanya had a lot to do with Julie Donaldson's hiring. I don't know that for a fact. I've been told a couple of times that there was a relationship there with uh, with and in, in, in a real respect for Julie. And I'm just I, I just read this. Okay, sort of with you for the first time. And it came off of me 10 minutes ago suggesting that maybe the power structure is changing and that the Snyders, plural, are now running the organization. That he is, in, he is including his wife now in many more of these decisions. And by the way, Tommy, from what I've been told, first of all, smart and much more compassion than the owner and a lot less arrogance than the owner. Just tell me if you think I could be onto something here. No. You don't, really? No. The owner will eventually stick I'm not talking about eventually. I'm talking about right now. Right now, of course. They haven't played any football. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Do you think Tanya did the interview? Nobody asked um, in in the interviews that I listened to, and I'm going to have him on next week, I think, when I'm back on radio. I don't think anybody asked if he ever interviewed with Snyder face-to-face. I'm curious as to whether or not Tanya was intimately involved in the interview process. He says he was connected with both. Why? It's fairy tale. The NFL pushed this. (laughs) It's a boys' league? (laughs) The NFL pushed this. I mean, and and the NFL has the one thing working in in this guy's favor Mm -hmm. is the NFL can't afford for this to fail. They can't afford for this guy to undergo the same kind of situation like Brian LaFamina did. So they will do everything they can to protect him from Snyder. So that may work in, in, in favor of this succeeding. But this is an NFL move. It's not a Tanya Snyder move. Or it's Dan Snyder move. It's I, a league move. I, I, I believe that you I, – I think both things are right here. I think definitely the league uh, and the reporting is that Goodell was very much pushing Jason Wright. 
um, as he and as we both believe, and I think many others believe, they were pushing Brian LaFamina. I just think in the process, and maybe it's pandemic related and the fact that there's true physical distancing now, I just have a feeling that Tanya with some of these recent hires has been much more influential than in the past. I'll leave it at that, okay? I'll leave it at that. Let me just make this... Well, I mean, I, I, I don't you think he's probably spending much more time with her now than he used to with Bruce? Uh... I just. I mean, don't you, in the old days, don't you think most of his time he spent with Bruce? Yeah, yeah I think Bruce was Bruce was the the influencer. Yeah, I mean the yeah. that when when that person on the condition of anonymity um, said, "I don't know who's making these moves, but it isn't the old Dan crowd." Obviously, the old Dan crowd includes people like. Bruce Allen and Mitch Gershman and some of these other people. What I'm suggesting is maybe part of the new crowd with more influence is his wife. Well, I think that's probably true. But this hire was NFL-generated, likely, and which, which Redskins fans should be happy about because unlike the one with Brian LaFamina, this one the NFL has a lot more invested in. Okay, this is an important league-wide hire. Mm-hmm. Since the league is particularly under fire for its lack of minority representation in high-level positions. So the NFL can't afford to have this fail. So that will be interesting, the dynamic moving forward. Uh, if there are conflicts, and there will be conflicts, I mean, uh, you know, Dan, unless Dan Snyder has a lobotomy, there's going to be conflict. Okay? How much power... Uh, this new team president really has. He may have a lot of power, a lot of power. The power to say to Snyder, you know, you can't can't operate your business this way, Dan. You know, followed up by a phone call by Roger Goodell. Well, you may have that what, kind of power. What's still hanging out there is the lawsuit against uh, Mary Ellen Blair and this media company in India that circles back potentially to Dwight Shar's son-in-law and daughter. Like, this th- this drama didn't just get dropped with the hiring of Jason Wright yesterday. Right. Um, Absolutely. Look, here's the bottom line to all of this. You know, this is an historic hire. I understand that. Um, and and it's, a, it's a great hire. I know that there's been some discussion that Kevin Warren, who's now the commissioner of the Big Ten, who has been in recent years at a very senior level with the Minnesota Vikings. He was uh, the, the COO. He was the chief operating officer um, for like four years, I think three or four years for the Vikings, and he's now the Big Ten commissioner. I know some people are saying, well, you know, actually Kevin Warren's hiring was the first in the most senior hiring of, of, uh, of a person of minority in the NFL. But regardless, this is an historic hiring of Jason Wright. Here's the bottom line, though. I mean, come on, people. We all know this, okay? If the team wins, everything will be fine. He won't have direct control over that. The organization's future is based on Ron Rivera and Dan Snyder more than anybody else. Because Rivera, if Rivera is allowed to build and coach a competitive football organization that wins and wins with some level of class and decency, then all will be changed and all will be different. 
Okay, the, the, Ron Rivera and Snyder as the owner have control of whether or not this organization becomes successful because winning is number one on this list. And whatever's number two, as Coach Thompson used to say, you count five or six uh, you know, steps before you get to it. You know, Now, Wright has a chance, Jason Wright has a chance to change the way uh, others look at this team, non-fans, you know, uh, non-media, the way businesses look at this team, the way, Tommy, local politicians view this team, because Snyder and Allen and all the people that they've had were always thought to be too arrogant and too untrust and, and lacking in trust. Nobody trusted them. Wright can change that part of the organization, and that will help with the, with the business of the Washington football team and the potential to perhaps get a stadium downtown. But winning is the biggest influencer. Period. This is, and you know, when it comes to team presidents, you know, it's like the PR guy. Like n- nobody knows anybody, any NFL team's PR guy, but everybody knew Tony Wiley because he was always in the middle of all of yeah. these controversies. Well, nobody knows the names of team presidents in the league for the most part. You know, they they know the they know the GMs and they know the coaches and they know the owners. Why? Because the results on the field matter. Do, do you know who Don Smolensky is, Tommy? Yeah, he used to come to my house and eat chicken all the time. <laughs> He's the team president of the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, I did not know that. Jeffrey Lurie, you know, he's the owner. And Howie Roseman, you know, uh, because he's the team's uh, general manager. And everybody knows who Doug Peterson is. Okay, no one knows who Don Smolinski is. Uh, Do you know who Ted Phillips is? No. He's the team president of the Chicago Bears. Okay, we know who the McCaskies are. All right, we certainly know who Matt Nagy is. And a lot of football fans know who Ryan Pace is. Nobody knows who that guy is. Rod Wood, you ever heard of him? He's the team president of the Detroit Lions. Okay, I could go on and on. Here's the only team president that you've heard of that's not also the owner of the team. Mark Murphy. And you know why? Because yes. he used to play for the Redskins. Yes, yes. That's yes. basically it. So the point here is historic hiring, clearly a guy that is coming with an incredible resume, with incredible references. But the winning has to happen, and he's not going to have much say over that. That is Ron Rivera and Dan Snyder letting Ron Rivera do his job. If that happens and the team wins and they win, as, as I said before, with a level of decency and decorum, and, and Jason Wright will be able to make his impact in the business community. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully he can change the impression that many politicians, local leaders, businesses, the league itself has of this football team. But the only way for this team, this franchise, to get back on two feet again is to win. Period. Nobody knows who team presidents are. Not minimizing their their impact or the position or the 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 importance of their position in organizations on the business side. But I mean only in Washington could everybody think yesterday, and I was listening to your station a little bit yesterday, my God, it was worse than the way they treated La Famina in terms of how, com- I mean, how completely convinced they are that the hiring of Jason Wright means Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but my God, I mean, there were a few people on their knees. 
Um, I'm happy for the hiring. I think it's it's another step in the right direction for diversity and all of that. And he's clearly qualified, but he won't have the impact on this franchise if it gets turned around like Ron Rivera will or Dan Snyder, because winning on the field is what matters more than anything else. I can't argue with that. Uh, I mean, and, and I think winning quickly, winning quickly is going gonna, is gonna to go a long way to establishing Ron Rivera's dominance and presence over Dan Snyder. Uh, but uh, with all that said, and all these historic hires and all the changing that that's going on, this is this is still this is still the same guy. He's still he's the same guy, mm-hmm. and uh, I just am convinced that nothing is going to change that. And sooner or later, at some point, he'll put himself in a situation. Uh, that will cause havoc within that organization <laughs> and force people to leave. Again, the only thing saving them is, is maybe is the NFL's influence in in this hiring and the amount they have invested in this working. So um, I'm going to answer your power struggle um, question, but y- you just reminded me of one of my favorite Tommies of, of all time. This would go... This would go on on the Tommy shelf, you know, equivalent to a Dundee winning a Tommy, um, because when your station um, was basically on their knees uh, servicing Brian LaFamina, you were saying you were the only one saying, "Are you kidding me? This guy better rent. He better not buy." And you predicted in August before the season ever began, before he ever talked about and eliminated, you know, from the minds of of some of those delusional, the delusional few that there was still a waiting list, that there wasn't a waiting list. You predicted he wouldn't last a year. I mean, seriously, you were the only one, the only one. But my question to you is, would you suggest to Jason Wright that he rent and not buy? He already lives here, though, so that's that's really not. Right. It, it, but but would you suggest to him be careful? This may not be for for the longing. Uh, you know, like I said, the N- the NFL's need to make this work is could be a mitigating factor. No, no, no. He he's in trouble. He's in trouble. I mean, he may think he knows what he's gotten himself into. He may be absolutely convinced. He's sure that he can handle it. But there'll be a moment where he'll come home from work and say to whoever he comes home from work to, what the heck did I get myself into? <laughs> I hope that not. Is, he was that's very... an absolute guarantee. Yeah. Here's, here's what could change that. Just consider this as a possibility, that the track we're on here is the last few moves for the Snyders. That the plan here is to eventually, you know, figure out whether or not Dwight Shar was behind the funding of the disinformation campaign. And by the way, just as a complete standalone topic, if I was, if if 
if they didn't have anything to do with it, if truly somebody was smearing me in the way that Snyder was smeared, tied to Jeffrey Epstein and many other things, sex trafficking and drug abuse and bribing NFL officials in the lead up to that post story, which again, as we've described, ironically, actually probably helped them more than it hurt them. But I'd be pissed off too. And I'd be looking to find out who did that to me. And if I found out it was one of my minority owners... If I found out that you were spreading a misinformation campaign about me, I'd come for you. So that but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. People wouldn't believe that of you. Um, People believed it of Snyder. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, so let me get it's back to difference. let me get back to my main point. My main point is. What if these are the last moves by the Snyders, hiring an incredibly diverse group? A minority head coach, the first female to be car- become a, a part of a broadcast booth, um, the first black team president in the NFL, but that we are still potentially heading down the path of a sale of the team. You know, and, and so, so so he's he's laying the groundwork for a magnificent exit. Oh my God! Yeah, a glorious what, exit. Yes. What do you make of that theory? I think I think it might be the craziest thing you've ever said. <laughs> really? Okay. I think it might be insane that that this guy is not going to go out kicking and screaming if he ever goes out. Instead, he's going to say to the world, "Look what I've done for you. Yes. Look what I've left for you. Yes. Now I'm going to leave. Yes. Oh yeah. Because actually, yeah. because my... he's such a benevolent fellow. Well, you know what? You know what he isn't, and I really believe this. Uh, he's not opposed to hiring diverse people. He's, I don't believe that either. Yeah. I agree with you. So, um, and let's not forget, this is something that I don't know if it's come up here in the last 24 hours or not. He was on this path long before George Floyd was murdered and the name was taken away. He wanted to hire Rick Smith. Remember when he hired Ron Rivera, there was also the discussion that he was trying to talk Rick Smith, who lost his wife. Um, His wife had passed away, and I don't think he's taken a job in the league since that. I could be wrong, but there was a lot of reporting about how Snyder wanted to hire Rick Smith to come in to be the team's, you know, president slash GM. Now, that would have been a football hire more than it would have been a business hire, Um, but I think he's been on this, you know, quest to hire and be out at the forefront of hiring diversity for a while. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that it's diversity for the sake of diversity. Rick Smith would have come with an incredible resume. Um, this uh, Jason Wright comes with not only an incredible resume, but just overwhelming support from everybody, including the league. Um, but he was sort of in this process anyway. Kevin, I'm not going to ask you this question because I, I don't even want to know what your answer is, to okay. be honest with you. But, but this guy's a prick. He's, a, he's been a prick probably since high school. No doubt. And he is still, and he may be a rainbow prick, but he's a prick. <laughs> is that, wait a minute, we have a new label. We have a new label. Tommy just coined it. A rainbow prick. That's pretty funny. Hey, don't forget, he also hired the first ever black female coach, right? They hired a, a yes. black female assistant I coach. I know. Uh, absolutely. Fine. That That's great. You know, but uh, by the way, I love saying 
script <laughs> because we're not on the radio. And and my fav, one of my favorite George Carlin thing is when he talks about different words is remember you can prick your finger but don't finger your prick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know um, that Eric Bieniemy yesterday in in describing Patrick Mahomes used the, the, he he kept calling he called him three times in a Zoom conference call Eric Bieniemy the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid in Kansas City who was a head coaching candidate in this last yeah. offseason Eric Bieniemy referred to Patrick Mahomes multiple times as a competitive prick it was it was it was a great description of he's essentially saying he's so competitive that he's an asshole which is by the way exactly the way Michael Jordan was described you know um maybe not prick being you but you know as a competitive asshole and he said that about in a very complimentary way about Patrick Mahomes multiple times um in his conference call yesterday um anyway uh you know who's you know who's not a prick who Alex Smith. We'll get to him in a moment. I just wanted uh, the power struggle question. I don't. The power struggle will be won by the owner of the team, whomever that is in, in the moment. And if it's Dan Snyder, if we get into you know, if it, if they're four and twelve, five and eleven, three and thirteen, and the stadium when fans are allowed back in is a third full, mostly with opponents' fans, and there's no stadium opportunity downtown, and the name thing turns into a disaster, well, they're all gone. (laughs) They're all gone. Yeah, probably. But I would like to see once and for all how the owner would handle a competently run business and football operation to see if he could not put his hands or get his hands mixed into it. Like, you know, when Has he had opportunities to do that before. Well, the Marty Schottenheimer thing's the best example. That arrow was pointed straight up. Straight up. So he's had, and, and he's had opportunities to do this. He, didn't, and he hasn't done it before. Th- yes. And, you know, obviously. As the owner, he could have gotten in the middle of the Bruce Allen, Kirk Cousins thing and ended that and said, what are you kidding me? We haven't had one of these in forever and you're going to keep franchising him? Pay this son of a bitch already. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Gibbs retired uh, for you know family reasons, etc., the Zorn thing was a disaster. The Shanahan thing ended in disaster. He obviously got in the middle of that with RG3. Um, and, and the Schottenheimer thing um, with uh, Fred Drasner um, being one of the minority owners and hating Marty, uh, he, he got, he wouldn't, that thing was headed in the right direction. There is no doubt to me it's the single worst decision he's made since he's been the owner. The single worst. Because if he had just left Marty to his own... Uh, Marty would have built a winner here over a decade, and I have no idea whether or not they would have won a Super Bowl, but they would have been a competent, uh, p- consistent winner, you know, 10-plus, 11-plus games, playoffs, division champions, um, and he wasn't having any fun, as he told people back then. So if Rivera and if Rivera does his part on the football side and Jason Wright, which, by the way, will make Jason Wright's job much easier – if they have a winning yes. team to sell, 
um, not just to, to, to fans, but to businesses and sponsors and sweet purchasers and leasers and local politicians for a new stadium. All of that stuff will be much easier if Ron Rivera does his job. Um, the key will be, can Snyder sit back and just let it happen? And the answer to that is a big no. It's a big I don't know for me. I hope that he wouldn't get in the middle of that and fuck it up. But the odds probably favored that he would um, and that he might even get involved too early before they even have a chance to do yeah. something. I am, I'm a Ron Rivera fan. I'm optimistic about Ron Rivera. I'm optimistic about parts of the roster. I'm optimistic about Jason Wright as much as I can be without him having an NFL resume. Um, but with the resume he has and with the uh, references that he comes with. Um, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic about the owner. That's my position. Okay. Uh, what else before we get to Alex Smith? That's it. That's it? Okay, let's get to... Um, I mean, look, let me just make it clear. Yeah. I think it's a great hire. I think it, it's a huge win for the organization. And it keeps everybody from paying attention to all the muck and the mire that's in the background. Agreed. Um, let me tell you about my bookie, um, because now we've got legitimate games. Okay, We've had some regular season games. We were in the midst of the NHL playoffs, and now the NBA playoffs have begun. And your boy has been eyeballing the MyBookie b- uh, board the last couple of nights. I have not fired in on anything yet, Tommy. I have not made one wager since early March. I'm actually proud of myself for that. Um, but many of you now are back in full swing, and we are just weeks away from the beginning of the NFL season. I've told you this before, but it's really important if you're going to use a book, if you're going to use a place-to-place bets, you've got to know that they are reliable, that, first of all, they're fair, you're getting quality lines, quality pricing, and that if you win, you will get paid. And my bookie is one of the few that you can rely on and trust. If you go to my bookie right now, they will match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000 if you enter my promo code, Kevin DC. That's K E V I N D C, mybookie.ag. Again, you'll deposit. Uh, up to a thousand dollars, they'll match it with another thousand. Now you got to play two thousand dollars worth of action. You can't just sign up and they uh, they give you a thousand bucks extra and then you just cash out. It's not the way it works. Okay, you're gonna have to play two thousand dollars plus worth of action uh, to uh, to be able to cash out. But it gives you a great opportunity. That's about as good of a bonus, a sign up bonus as you're going to get. Again, right now you got the NBA playoffs going on. You've got the NHL playoffs going on. You've got day-to-day baseball. You've got the NFL, which we are at this point pretty certain will start on September 10th um, with the Chiefs and the Texans on a Thursday night with a full week one scheduled after that. The teams are practicing now in pads, so we're getting closer. MyBookie.ag, enter my promo code Kevin DC for your deposit to be matched dollar for dollar. You don't have to deposit a thousand. You can deposit a hundred bucks and they'll match it uh, with another hundred. They'll put it right into your account. Remember at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet you win. They pay. All right. The other big story uh, since we last did a podcast was Alex Smith coming off the pup list, which again, um, it's incredible 
that he, after the documentary that we watched, the Project 11 documentary, where his leg looked like it had been eaten by a great white shark, um, that he is out, you know, running around, you know, doing football drills and is actually eligible right now if they had a game tomorrow to play in the game and to be active in the game. Um, with that said, uh, the story um, written by Nikki Jabavala, I think that's how you pronounce her name. I'm, I'm not entirely sure from the Washington Post. She's been covering the team for the Post. It's a very detailed story. You know, um, included basically some information that Alex Smith, while he's been cleared by doctors and he's off the pup list and cleared for football activities, doesn't have full control of his foot, Tommy. He wears a sleeve and a brace on his lower right leg because he doesn't have full strength in his leg. Muscle from his left leg was transferred to fill the front part of his right leg, but not to create movement. Rather, tissue and accompanying artery were provided to provide coverage and a blood supply to help the bones heal. Smith still has his right calf muscle, which allows him to plant his back foot and run. But to help him with Doris flexion, or the ability to lift up his foot, he uses a customized spry step brace. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> but hold on. All of the excitement and all of the talk of quarterback competition when he came off the pup list, am I the only one that still believes that he's never going to take a snap on an actual NFL football field unless it's ceremonial no, no, again? That's, that's two different things, Kevin. You keep changing this around. I don't believe he's ever going to play quarterback either. I've never thought he would. I, I didn't but, say that you did. But I guess I sort of said that. A hundred percent physically of, of able, you know, with no, you know, with no foot problems or anything like that. My position is he would be the starting quarterback. And that hasn't changed. My position on that hasn't changed, no matter how bad his foot is, uh, because uh, I mean, if his foot is bad, then then I mean that's my point. I just don't see how he's going to be able to pull this off, but. Uh, you know, according to what Ron Rivera said today, Alex Smith's foot movement is crucial when they're evaluating. He said he saw good movement in his progressions. Quote, you see that he is still in tune with that. Unquote. That's from the coach today about his foot movement. Um, yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just getting some of the quotes from Rivera here. Um, and, and seeing what some of the other uh, uh, beat reporters who were at practice um, were saying, and they said that he looks pretty normal, you know? Um, okay. I, I, I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe that, um, that he's going to play. I'm, again, I mean, like, this is not, you know, a disrespect thing or an uncaring thing. This is amazed that he's gotten himself into this, but this would also be, to me, incredibly unlikely um, and, and, and in many ways not advisable for him to play professional football. But who the hell am I? I mean, I'm, I'm not also in this camp, as you know, Tommy, of being the guy that doesn't you know, understand that these guys have a different mentality and a different competitiveness, and I'm all for that. It's one of the reasons I love Dwayne Haskins, by the way. Because I think he's really super, super 
uh, competitive and urgently competitive in games. But I also think just if we're talking about the future of this football team, Haskins has to be the starter in 2020. You've That's got different. I, I understand that. I understand that. Well, I, I still disagree with you that if all things were equal, I think Haskins would beat him out because I think Haskins is good. And I think he's going to, you know, in year two prove that he's uh, totally capable. But I did have um, this conversation with Ben Standig on Friday about just this possible, you know, scenario. And it would be this. That Ron Rivera, while talking about culture change and three, four, five years of military time before you can create a, a culture change, and, and essentially asking for time, right, Tommy? He has in several yes. interviews. Um, that really what he believes when he looked at this situation in November and early December was he saw a team that could be competitive right away on defense with his coaching. And that... Um, he believes that defensively they're going to be good this year. And if they can get some steady veteran quarterback, don't lose the game play, that maybe this year could be a 10-6 and year. I'm just saying in his own mind. Now, let me – veteran was the wrong way to describe it. Solid understanding of the offense, competent, don't lose the game, game management kind of play that maybe Kyle Allen might have a chance to be the guy. But here's where I'm coming up with a way that Haskins isn't a starter. But every time I go down that path, as I did with Ben the other day, you know who was a really good game-managing quarterback last year for Bill Callahan? Dwayne Haskins was. I mean, it's sort of ironic because everybody feared that he couldn't manage the game, that he couldn't get him out of the huddle, that he couldn't get a play called in the huddle, that he couldn't get a snap off on time, that they were going to burn timeouts, that they were going to be penalized. And as it turns out, with a strong running game, he was a pretty good game-managing quarterback last year. You're right. None of that that came into play. You're absolutely right. I mean, they weren't calling timeouts left and right, which had been a problem under Jay Gruden, actually. Over the years, oh yeah, not getting plays called in time. Uh, that did not happen with him. You're absolutely right about that. So, anyway, um, some of the things. But if, if, yeah. if, if you're not buying into the whole Alex Smith thing, then you think the Redskins and Ron Rivera are, are basically perpetrating a fraud. <laughs> yeah, I would. Right? That has such a negative um, sort of implication. Well, they're making, I mean, they're they're they're. I, they're I, they're they're touting this line about Alex Smith, you know, competing and, and and being right there, competing for the job where you think it's all bullshit. So they they must be making this stuff up. Um, I think that there is a level of certain uh, certainly hyperbole, um, but I think it's um, self-serving. I think they would like to create the illusion for Dwayne of, hey, man, this guy can come back and take your job because they want him to feel threatened and to see how he responds to that. They want him to compete. He's talked about that, Rivera has. Everybody's competing here. You know, nobody's got a job. Um, so I think there's some of that that's a bit, um, uh, in their own mind, perhaps beneficial. I also think it is top-down, Snyder-down of – We are going to support this comeback in every possible way we can, and we will not publicly. First of all, this is ridiculous that this kind of messaging, clear messaging, would come from this owner. But I think organizationally, they like Alex so much that they're not ever going to publicly say, yeah, he's not going to play until 
he really until the decision has to be made about him not playing that they're totally supportive of everything he's doing and you know I'm not saying that they're fraudulent in the way they're inspired by it I think everybody's inspired by it but yes I think deep down they don't have any uh, belief that he, that Alex Smith is going to start football games for them this year I do believe that does Alex do you think Alex Smith believes it I d- I have no idea, but in, on some level, I think, you know, I, again, I think fraud, fraudulent is too is is too negative a description. But I think on some level, Alex Smith's plan is just to get back to the point where he's ruled eligible and he's maybe even active. Um, or or made inactive on game day, but he's on the roster and he's mentoring these young people in the room. But that you know, for he and his family, they know it's not the right thing for him to go back on a football field either. Well, now that seems ridiculous, Kevin. <laughs> that talk about an illusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alex Smith—he's he's not some crotchety old man. I mean, this this is the guy who's got a lot of pride. You think he's got a he, that that his goal? is to basically, you know, perpetrate this fraud on the Redskins fans. Stop calling that, it a know, fraud yeah, being perpetrated. That's not what's going well, on. That's, well, that's, that's what it is. It's an ugly way to You're describe it. You're saying that everybody's in on this, this thing where he's not really going to compete for the job. And everybody's in on it except Redskins fans. It's a community comeback with um, just um, inspiration, wrapped in inspiration. It's, But it's not going to lead to him playing football again. And whether or not that's the team decision or his decision or a collaboration of both, I just don't see it. What if he thinks he can play? Well, then, if if this is my organization and and I believe he can play and he wants to play, I'm going to make that happen for him in another NFL city. This organization cannot risk putting Alex Smith back back on the field and having something terrible happen. That needs to happen if it happens somewhere else, not here. That's number one. Number two is Dwayne Haskins, we have to find out whether or not this 21-year-old or 22-year-old is our future. And we have to find that out this year. So you're right about all that. Now, if Alex Smith is the starting quarterback for the Washington Redskins, is that an indication to you that it's business as usual at Redskins Park? No. That the team is still stuck in, in a dysfunctional mess? Uh, after I picked my jaw up off the ground, I would just tell you that it was a major indictment of Dwayne Haskins. That he can't do it. That the Rivera and, and Scott Turner and the coaches just don't believe he's the, the guy. There is no situation where you could say and make me believe that if Alex Smith started the opener and was the starting quarterback this year and they tried to sell you on but Dwayne's the future that I would believe it okay I mean I I just I, I just can't believe that Dwayne Haskins if he gets beat out it's because either he really can't do it or that the coaches certainly don't believe that he's their future. You know, the coaches may believe if he gets beat out that he can play in the NFL and 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 maybe be a low-end starter or a backup. But if he gets beat out, Tommy, by Alex Smith 
it is an indictment of his. Uh, it is certainly a reflection of what this coaching staff, at the very least, thinks of Dwayne Haskins, and that is he's not their future. Do you agree? Yes, okay. I would agree. Even if they say Dwayne is the future and Dwayne's going to be the backup, I wouldn't believe that. So then you're, you have a team now that has no future starting quarterbacks according to that plan. That's right. That's why I think, you know, I think Dwayne would, it will win the job and win it easily. Uh, by the way, you, did, you don't know this. So I had Rivera on the radio show on Friday. And he was great. He's actually a pleasant guy. I, th- I think I- I'm I'm optimistic about him. I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just really am. Like if I weren't in this mindset of being less passionate about the team than I used to, I would almost be as optimistic as I was when Mike Shanahan got hired. And that was pretty damn optimistic because you and I were doing a daily radio show together, as you recall. But I asked him, Tommy, um, because the following day would have been the first preseason game against the Titans. And I said, you know, tomorrow, or I I think I got it wrong. I said either tonight or tomorrow would have been your first preseason game. If that had been true, who would have been your starter? And he said, oh, Dwayne Haskins would have been. And then he said, and then next week, you know, Kyle Allen would have been um, the starting quarterback. And then we would have had the competition leading up to, you know, uh, opening day. But his immediate response, without even thinking, was Dwayne Haskins, which tells me, and some of you didn't agree, and a lot of you did, at least on social media. I read some of that from over the weekend. It tells me that this is easily, as it should be, Dwayne's job to lose like he would really have to lose it to not be the starter on opening day he would have to be clearly unprepared not committed and by the way what we've heard from Ron Rivera about everything is that he's been very pleased with all the things he's asked him to do and encouraged by his commitment to everything football related so you don't think that if Alex Smith simply beats out Dwayne Haskins that's good enough I don't think Alex Smith can beat out Dwayne Haskins. I don't know why you don't think that. What, what is it? I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, Alex Smith is a veteran NFL quarterback who, who is, I mean, you know, Dwayne Haskins has a long way to go, a long way to go to be as good as Alex Smith. And you think he's going to beat him out in a one-on-one competition, everything being equal? Well, again, no again, I mean, the everything being equal is so ridiculous um, because, you know, because it's pro- it probably can't be equal because he can't even lift his foot up without aid. But I'll play along here. So why would, I'll play why along here. The last time why we saw Alex Smith, he wasn't he very good. The last time we saw Alex Smith, he just wasn't that good. Why would they put him out there if he can't lift his foot? Oh, they haven't put him out there against any, you know, anybody that can actually tackle him yet, have they? Well, no, they haven't. <clears throat> okay. So when they put him out again out there with the with the possibility of him being tackled or blindside hit or rolled into, then we can talk. Okay. Okay. I don't think he's going to ever play football again either. But my, my position remains, if he does, he's the starting quarterback. I know. Um, what else do we have on Alex Smith? Anything else on Alex Smith? Did we leave anything no. out? The, the word is that he looks great and, you know, the drills today and, you know, dropping back and whatever. Um, 
Obviously, they can't hit him. They can't get near him uh, during these things. But, you know, we do have a, we, we do have football teams, Tommy, with pads on. We got football teams with pads on. Now they haven't traveled. They haven't, you know, they haven't played against anybody else. They're going to be much closer to each other starting today than they have been. Did you see the story about the Chiefs? The Chiefs are planning on 22% capacity for opening night September 10th against the Texans. Um, yeah. That would be equivalent to, I think it said, 16,000 fans at Arrowhead for the opener. Um, and it's interesting, the Ra- the Ravens are planning on having fans. Right, and other teams aren't, and, and the Cowboys haven't and, you know, made a decision. The Redskins have. And the, the Ravens and the Redskins, well, the, Red- the Ravens and the Washington football team, they play in the same state. Yes, they do. They do indeed. Um, they play in the same state. All right, we'll finish up with some discussion about the cap situation, and I'll get to some NBA playoffs from last night as well. But I want to tell you about Ernest uh, at Ernest.com. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. This goes for parents that are handling some of those student loans as well. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Ernest. If you've refinanced before with today's low rate environment, most people could save even more by refinancing again. Check your new rate, and you can check your new rate, and it's fast and easy at Ernest.com. To start, you complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. If you want to change your monthly payment, combine many loans into one easy payment or get a better rate. Ernest makes it easy. Plus, there's no origination fee or any other fees. And now there's a huge opportunity. You can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest.com slash my promo code Sheehan. That's Ernest.com slash Sheehan. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at Ernest.com slash Sheehan. Now, it's not available in all states. You visit Ernest.com slash Sheehan for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Ernest Student Loan Refinance Loans are made by Ernest Operations LLC NMLS number 1204917 California Financing Law License Number 60547883032 Second Street Suite 401 North San Francisco California 94107 Visit licenses for a full list of licensed states I wanted to talk about the Caps a little bit. Obviously, uh, they play tonight, Tommy, to keep their season alive against the Islanders. Uh, It's been – I've watched all three games. I've actually enjoyed the NHL playoffs. I think it's really been – they've been fun games to watch the games that I've watched. The Caps-Islanders games have been intense. I think the NBA playoffs yesterday and last night were pretty intense too. I'm coming around on on the bubble sports. I I, I always – I liked hockey from the jump. Um, had a, a, di- a more difficult time with the NBA. Saturday changed it for me. The Memphis-Portland game was so uh, so exciting. And then the games last night in particular, the, uh, the Clippers-Mavericks game, which had some controversy, which I'll get to at the end of the show. But um, the Caps not only are on the verge of losing to Barry Trotz and the Islanders, uh, who were the underdogs in this series, they're on the verge of getting swept. And you know, Tommy, I was thinking about this, and maybe I'm wrong, 
because I'm not a hockey expert, and may- maybe some of you would dispute this, and you can have at it uh, and tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC. Um, but I don't think this is like one of those random hockey results. I think they've gotten their ass kicked. Like this has been one of those hockey series that weren't. That's not decided just on a couple of fluke, you know, skate deflections. That they've basically, especially five on five, gotten their ass handed to them. Like this has been a beatdown. You know, maybe it'll change tonight, but that's what I've seen. I've seen a team, especially five on five, not have a chance against the other team, and I think that's surprising to most people. You know, I I, I like to sit here and say I agree with you, but, <laughs> but I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't watched one lick of any of the cats. You really you know? haven't? Not one not one minute. But you're going to have to write about this if Trotsy sweeps them I or write, takes them out. I, I write once a week, Kevin. I know. I don't write three times a week. I've already written my column for tomorrow. It's about college football. So... I mean, I won't write again until next Tuesday for Wednesday. Who's going to care about the Cats then? I don't have. I don't. It's like why I'm did you choose? Why did you choose to write about college football for tomorrow's column instead of Jason Wright, Alex Smith, or the Caps? Well, because well, one thing: the Caps. Play. What time do the Caps play? They play at eight o'clock tonight. Okay, that's a little bit past my deadline. Okay. By the time that game would be over. But you didn't so even know what time it started, so you didn't consider them. Well, no, I didn't consider them because I had an angle for college football, <laughs> and I was determined to write it. Okay, well, but did you consider writing about Jason Wright or Alex Smith? No, I mean, because if I don't write this college football one now... It could change in a couple of weeks. Okay, well, I want to hear so about. I, I want. To, I want to hear about it because I. One of my observations of you now for for many years, um, and it's. I, I would. It's. It's a. It's a great thing because you're really good at not necessarily watching a lot of games, but coming up with a lot of angles. <laughs> and I can remember so many days when we did our show together and in the podcast too, when I would say, well, did you watch the game? No, I didn't watch it, but don't worry. I have an angle. <laughs> and, 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 and it, it's brilliant because it, it's coming. And by the way, the best part about you is the angle that you've come up with may or may not be right. And it may not be backed up by anything that happened in the game that you didn't watch, but you're not coming off that angle. There's no chance of getting you off that angle once it's been written. I might want to point out my angles are usually spot on 100% and uh, or at least 98%. Well, I don't know if the percentage uh, is that high, but I will say this, whether your angle is right or wrong, you always write it in a very entertaining way. <laughs> well, so I wrote, look, I, I'm, I'm like an op-ed columnist now. I don't necessarily write uh, about, like, the day-to-day activities mm-hmm. because I don't write that often. I write once a week now. I'm thankful that I, I still have the chance to write once a week. I know some people in this business who aren't writing at all, uh, and, uh, right. but, uh, that, that kind of changes to what I write about a little bit. Uh, not always, but I felt in this case it did. I'll have plenty of time 
to write about Jason Wright. What am I going to write now? I mean, I did some research on him. You know, there was nothing that stood out that would have made for something interesting other than what every other asshole is going to write about, that it's a great hire and it's a wonderful thing. So what can I lend to that <laughs> argument that hasn't already been out there? Right. Nothing. Okay. So I wrote about something about college football. I'm not trying to I, do your I job for you. This, I discussed this with you last week, and uh, it's my angle, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, the fact that the conferences that have decided to play football are populated with states that are among the lowest poverty level, the lowest education level, and the lowest health care level in the country. So they value, they, they, a lot of things they value in those states, but quality of life is not one of them. <laughs> well, so they don't particularly wow. Care. wow. So they don't particularly care who goes down with the coronavirus that much mm-hmm. in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Making a lot of friends with this column. So that's my column. You're... Read it in the WashingtonTimes.com. Click on sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Pac-12 has some some states and some markets and some, you know, out there uh, cities in, you know, Pullman, Washington and Eugene, Oregon, that, you know, aren't, aren't so different from the South. Oh, I think, I, I, you know, if I, I have to go get my pad with the list on it because I, I checked the rankings for health care, mm-hmm. poverty level, education, quality of life, and believe me, you don't get to Washington State until way like much closer to the top than to the bottom. The states I mentioned to you, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, those kind of states, they're usually in the bottom five of every category. The SEC announced this morning um, their health and safety guidelines for fans to attend games. Um, And it includes uh, that everyone will have to wear face coverings uh, at the events. Um, including everybody that works uh, at the venues. Um, they, they put out this statement, quote, these fan guidelines have been adopted by the 14 member schools of the Southeastern Conference as baseline recommendations for campus management of fan health and safety. Although local and state guidelines will determine if and how many fans can attend games, these guidelines provide conference-wide expectations for protection of guests who, who are able to attend our games. You know what I, I, I think is going to be really interesting is in the places where they're allowing fans to attend sporting events, even if it's a you know twenty to thirty percent of capacity allowance, are people going to actually go? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Look at look look at the the photos of uh, of beaches and 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 bars. Yeah, you're and right. Like and, and 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 a lot of I'm like they're my... the same dummies. And a lot of those people will be in the south and in. You know, big yeah. college football areas. They're gonna they're gonna have they're gonna party. And again, I mean, you know, the the data that came out yesterday or the day before that now you know twenty t- people in their twenties, thirties, and forties are are right now the biggest spreaders um, of this. You know, including people in their early fifties um, who are asymptomatic or are, are the biggest spreaders of this right now. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State, you may have seen this, Tommy, the, the petition that he put together over the weekend that had, at last count, like 220,000 signatures asking Big Ten chancellors and presidents to reconsider. You know, parents, players, coaches, they all want the Big Ten to um, reconsider the decision. The Penn State athletic director, she essentially said she doesn't even know if the chancellors and presidents voted on this. She doesn't know how the decision was made. Um, I don't... You know, it's their own fault. Athletic directors got nothing to whine about. They had a chance this March to deal with this thing together on their own. And they left it to the school presidents. And this is what they got. What do you mean they could have done? They could have dealt with this on their own. In other words, I mean, school administrators, athletic administrators around the country could have basically banded together and realized that they were heading down a path where their sport was going to be in trouble this fall, and they needed to come up with some kind of plan or guidelines to present to their school presidents to mitigate liability. Instead, they did nothing. And it was left to school presidents who are only worried about about liability issues and could care less about the football issues. So they, they deserve what they're getting in this. So the coaches, the, the, the athletic directors, they did nothing. They did nothing to try to, yeah, to address the, this situation. But the decision, was, the decision, Tommy, was going to be the president's decision, the school president's decision. But you have to present, you have to convince the president. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't do that. And they left the president to say, well, I mean, I don't, we don't want to get sued. You know, we don't want to become the laughing stock. And by the way, and you can read this in my column in, in the Washington Times when it gets posted. This is Dr. Cameron Wolf. He's a Duke infectious disease specialist. He's chairman of the ACC's medical advisory team, the ACC choosing to play. Quote, we believe we can mitigate it down to a level that makes everyone safe. Can we safely have two teams on the field? I will say I would say yes. Now in June, Dr. Wolf told a television station in Durham saying, if we are a foot apart from each other outside, I'm still close enough to pass this to you. Right. Well, I, that sounds like a line of scrimmage to me. Yeah, well, what what do you account his change to? What, what do you, what do you account for in terms of the, his change of opinion? Money? Well, I I, I I have no no. Am I think he's getting paid? No, I just think there's tremendous public pressure in places yeah. like North Carolina, where I mean it's it's a debacle right now. Right. Uh, you know, right there. I just think there's tremendous public pressure in states like the ones I talked about. I think college football is more important. And people's health. Um, Nick Saban was on um, the Greenberg show uh, this morning, um, get up in the morning on ESPN, and said that if there's no season, like the, the idea of a spring season um, is he, he essentially equated to <clears throat> something that would be the equivalent of a JV football season um, because the juniors and seniors were, would all opt out that they wouldn't play in a spring season. So, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced a week ago that they weren't playing. The Big Ten specifically said that they would, you know, look at and hopefully can play a spring football schedule. I'm not sure if the Pac-12 said that or not. I I think they may have. 
Um, and yeah, Nick Saban this morning basically said if they do that, it's going to be become a, a JV football season because the juniors now, and seniors will opt out. All that, all that said, uh, the new proposed saliva test could yeah, change right. everything. <clears throat> yeah. That could change everything. But, but you have to distribute them and get them to the right people. You have to manufacture them, distribute them, and get them out there if they are as, 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 as effective as everybody says they are. Ironically, the NBA is one, yeah. one, one of the driving forces behind that. Amazing. Uh, so I, I'll grant you, a cheap daily saliva spit test that people feel confident about could be a game changer. Yeah, well, the FDA uh, yesterday or the day before basically authorized um, like an emergency use of this saliva test. First of all, apparently it's very cheap, and the turnaround time is super quick. Uh, so let's get these things out there. If they if they're just as ag- accurate as the nasal swab test that takes the normal person, you know, ten to fourteen days, maybe longer to get back. Yeah, this could be a major game changer. I agree with you. It'd be awesome yeah. to get this thing out there uh, quick, quickly um, and inexpensively. Uh, and yeah, it could be a, a huge game changer. If you could take that thing the night before or whatever and have the results back in a few hours, uh, then you're putting players out there that you know aren't positive. That's a big game changer. If you could do the same thing with fans that want to attend the game. Um, you know, I don't know how you would do that. I, you probably can't. I, I had um, Howard Gutman, uh, who l- listens to the podcast and was the former ambassador to Belgium, who I really enjoy. He was, you know, he spent almost an hour with me on radio one day a couple of months ago. He's uh, involved in this company that basically, you know, reduces the the chance of somebody entering a stadium or an arena with an infection to a very low number because not only do they take temperature, but they take blood oxygen levels, um, you know, immediately under a scanner. So you would get scanned like you would for, you know, uh, make sure you're not bringing weapons into a stadium. And, and that would also act simultaneously as a temperature and blood ox scanner. Um, and if you, you know, if you're outside the, the norms on either one of them, you would be told, you know, you can't enter, enter the stadium. I still think, you know, just the, the process of getting even 16,000 people into Arrowhead socially distanced, distanced is going to be a nightmare. How are they going to handle the concession stands with social distancing? Bathrooms. I agree. It's going to be a logistical nightmare. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, the saliva you know, test would be a game changer. I have a, a blood oximeter here, here with us. Yeah, I remember you told me you got one. Yeah. Yeah. I've been checking it every day, too. Oh, you have been? Yeah. <laughs> and how, how's it been going? That's good. Good. 98, 97, good numbers. All right. Um, wanted to just mention really quickly before we leave for the day that the Porzingis ejection last night, if you watched the Dallas Clippers game. By the way, the NBA playoffs started yesterday. If I didn't make this clear before, I think the Clippers are going to win the title. Um, I think the Clippers are the best all-around team. I'm also rooting for them because I'm a huge Kawhi Leonard fan, and as most of you know, I really thought, even going into the postseason last year, that Toronto had a chance to win the title. Um, and yeah, it took maybe Kevin Durant getting hurt, you know, uh, in the finals for them to win it. But 
Um, I just I, I, Leonard was my favorite player uh, in the tournament last year. He's my favorite player in this one. They are terrific defensively with George and with Beverly, et cetera, with Montrez Harrell back. Um, I, I'm picking the Clippers to win the whole thing. I was also very surprised over the weekend when the final um, odds came out that the Clippers in Vegas are actually the favorite now. They were not a week ago. The Lakers and Bucks were the favorites to win the title. But when this thing got closer to starting, Vegas made the Clippers the favorite to win the whole thing um, at like minus 220, minus 230. It was very close. I think the Lakers were minus 240 and the Bucks were minus 250, at least on, on one of the sites, uh, my bookie and a couple of the others that I look at. But anyway, um, Last night's game one between Dallas and the Clippers was a joke. First of all, Porzingis gets hit with a ridiculous technical foul on a block shot where he argues um, and he gets teed up immediately. But once you've teed up a player of his level once, you cannot tee him up again on a play in which one of his players, his star player, Luka Doncic, is being approached by Mar- by Morris, okay, by, by Marcus Morris, in a physical confrontation way. Uh, Porzingis jumps in, shouldn't have jumped in, that was his fault, but he jumped in and just moved with his hand Morris away from Doncic. It didn't really start a brawl of any sort. And they hit him up with his second tee, tossed him from the game, and that really cost Dallas a chance to steal game one against the Clippers last night. I thought that was a horrendous officiating um, decision. You've got to know as an official that you've teed a a star player up, and it's got to take an awful lot, a lot more than what Porzingis did to throw him out of that game. That was a disgrace last night from an officiating standpoint. And trust me, I'm rooting for the Clippers, and I want them to win, and they were on the ropes a little bit last night. They were down at halftime. They were down double digits at one point. Um, they, they were they were in trouble. Um, I mean, the game started off. If you were watching it, you know it started off with uh, with with a big uh, Clippers run. Um, but then the but then Dallas came back and had the lead at halftime. So uh, it was a terrible decision. Hopefully they 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 get the message that you can't throw players like that on, on, out on something like that. Today we're going to get a bunch of games again. A quadruple header that that ends with Lakers Blazers tonight. Tommy, the Blazers have been the most entertaining team to watch in this Orlando bubble since it started. I'm not going to act like I've watched a lot of their games. I did watch the game on Saturday the play-in game against Memphis, and it was very entertaining. Um, And, uh, you know, right now Dame Lillard is just flat out one of the best scorers in, in, in the game, and uh, they, they, I mean, the, the dude, the dude was averaging in the final three regular season games over 51 points per game. I mean, he can just flat out get it done. They're just terrible defensively. I don't personally think they've got a shot to beat the Lakers, but uh, you know who came up big in that game was Carmelo Anthony. I mean, he knocked down some big shots. You know, at however old he is, 36, 37 years old. You're, I know you're not watching this. If you're not watching the Caps, you're not watching this. But um, yeah. it's starting to get pretty entertaining and you know it's over 2 months and they you know they've got the sound the television product isn't terrible i think the hockey product's better uh but you know there's going to be some good nba playoffs to watch here um do you think the caps get swept tonight uh no i think they managed to win a game but well, i have no idea <laughs> i told you i haven't watched any why would you even ask me i don't that? know i don't know why i asked you i don't know why you answered hey 
What? I don't know why I did. When I got something to tell you, one last thing, show you how business has changed. Street and Smith has announced they're not going to publish any more oh, magazines. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Do you know that... It's like, this, it's like the Sears catalog, like, discontinuing. There was a time um, in for me, and it's been years... That Street and Smith's college and pro football issues would hit the stands in like early July, mid July, and they were must reads to preview Absolutely. to preview the uh, college football um, and pro football seasons. I mean, a hundred percent. the The best college football preview, and he still does. You know, a paper version is the Phil Steele college football preview. He's got dedicated loyalists. Um, I mean, he has been spot on for years with his college football preview. Uh, but, man, yeah, Street and Smith was the Bible there for years. Yeah. Now business has changed. Uh, no it, more. It has. All right. Did we miss anything? I don't think we did. And if we did, we'll try to cover it I on Thursday. We, we covered everything. Go enjoy I yourself. people got their money's worth today. Do you bring a cooler out to the beach with some with some uh, you know beers and do you have your cigars ready to go on the beach? What's your deal on the beach all day? I don't drink on the beach and I don't smoke on the beach. Okay. I don't smoke cigars. I'm very careful about smoking cigars as to not offend other people. Like if I'm walking down the street smoking a cigar and let's say somebody was approaching with little kids, I'm going to I'm going to stop puffing within 20 yards and I'm getting here and and wait till they get 20 yards past me before I take another puff. So, I'm very I'm, I mean, you know, I don't You're very need considerate. To make a statement. You're very considerate. I am. I, I I mean, that's what everybody says except you. That has not that has nothing to do with drinking. Like one of my favorite things at the beach is to be at the beach from about 5 o'clock until 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock until 8 o'clock. You know, when the sun is setting and it's cooling off and the beach is emptying and to be out there with, you know, some family and some friends and a couple of cold beers, that's that's relaxing. But I'm assuming by 5 o'clock you're already back at your place. I'm in bed by 5 o'clock. How's that? <laughs> you're looking for the blue plate special on the boardwalk somewhere. All right. Um, thanks. Uh, we'll talk on Thursday.